So Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 14, if you'd stand with me as we read God's word. We've been reading this, this passage every week now for the last several weeks. This is our text for our series that we're going through on new wineskins. Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 14 says, Then John's disciples came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth, because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. You may be seated. New wineskins. Jesus was teaching here about new wineskins, and he was teaching about the new life that he gives us when we accept him as our Savior. When we ask him into our heart to forgive our, we ask him to forgive our sins and to give us eternal life, he makes us new. And he's teaching us the whole principle here, and he's laying a foundation for his entire ministry and the teaching of his ministry about how he wants to make you new. And it makes no sense to take the old way, to take the new ways of Jesus and put them into the old ways of life. New requires new because the old can't handle the new. The problem with too many Christians is that they're trying to live the new way of Jesus hanging on to the old way of themselves. They're not compatible. They're just not compatible. Told a couple guys uh, last night, Jonathan messaged me about something and I, and he asked me how I was feeling because last, last Sunday, for some reason, it was just horrible. It used to be that I could favor my right leg by, by standing on my left foot. But now that my left hip is gone and needs to be replaced, I can't favor either one. And my legs were just shot and it hurt my back. And I told him, I said, I feel like a box of Legos that don't fit together anymore. And it's, it's just, it, it, I forget where I was going with that. See, that's, that's the terrible part about getting, get, the, the mind doesn't work with the rest of the body. But um, we're talking about new. Let's just get back on track. How's that? And it's all about new. And we're looking at new ways of doing things and not putting the old into the new because it just, it's not compatible. That's where I was going. See, I know if I keep talking, it'll come back. The, the, compatible, the, the compatibility of our old life is not, it doesn't equal the new life. Jesus gives us something new. And he gives us new, and he gives us new ways. He gives us a new perspective. He gives us a new mind. He gives us a new heart so that we'll live a new way. But too many Christians are trying to live the old way by hanging on to the new, and by, 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 by grabbing the new in one hand and the old in the other and trying to bring them both along and it doesn't work. And that's what, Christian, I'm telling you, man, that's why you fail. <laughs> that's why you're unsuccessful. That's why you're, you're stuck. It's like jo- what, what Joshua said to the children of Israel before they crossed over. Choose today whom you'll serve, whether you're going to serve the gods of your fathers or the gods of the, the, of the land of the people where you dwell. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He said, but you've got to make a choice. You can't do both. And that's where too many Christians are today. Quite honestly, that's where too many Christians in our church are today. You can't hold on to both. Jesus himself said, you can't serve two masters. 
What we're going to be talking about is how, as we go through this, how do you do both? And our our Wednesday night uh, deeper program for adults is going to be all about learning how to be a Christian, how to pray. One of the first ones we're going to be talking about is prayer, how to pray. The power of a praying man. That's uh, we're not going to be discussing Stormy Stormy O'Martian's books, but um, the power of a praying man, the power of a praying woman, power of a praying wife. What do you last night, last night? I, uh, I made the boys some dinner and my sons take medicine for ADD. And that really, that really puts down their appetite until it wears off. And Michael, especially Michael, they're, they're growing. They're, they're, they're going through a growth spurt right now. They're almost, they're getting as close to being as tall as me. And they're only nine, which is just crazy. But Michael just begins to eat like a like a horse, man. He just eats like crazy. And last night he just ate dinner <laughs> and he just ate and he just ate, man. He just ate and he ate. He literally ate himself sick. And I put him to bed and he said, daddy, I don't feel too good. <laughs> I said, well, what's wrong? He says, my belly hurts. I said, well, I think you might've eaten a little too much dinner, Michael. He says, yeah, I probably shouldn't have eaten all that, Dad. I said, well, here's a, you know, I gave him a bucket just in case he needed to get rid of some of that extra dinner. And uh, he said, well, well, Gabriel or Michael, it was bedtime. And I said, let's pray. And he was, he was crying a little bit because he was feeling pretty sick. So I prayed with him and I, I, let him sleep in the, in the uh, down. They, want, they like to sleep in the basement right now because the stove is down there. And uh, so I let him sleep in the, re- in the recliner. And it was tough. When, you, when your kid's sick, it's tough to go to sleep. And I went to bed praying for him. And I woke up this morning and I went down and started getting ready. And Michael got up and I said, had a big smile on his face. I said, how are you feeling this morning, buddy? He said, I'm feeling good, dad. I said, well, I went to bed praying for you. He said, yeah, dad, I was praying too. And then Gabriel was praying for me. He was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. My, my two youngest boys, my nine-year-old sons are getting it. They're getting it. See, that's what we're talking about. That's why we need to learn how to pray. Because whether you want to, whether you want to agree with it or not, whether you want to think so or not, my son was able to get a good night's sleep because we prayed for him. And God answered prayer. You see, that's putting the new into new. That's learning how to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. This year is all about new. Looking at everything we do through that different lens, a new lens. And making changes that need to be, be, need to be made. Now, change is never easy for, for most people. Most people don't see change as fun, but I'm hoping that this year we're going to have a different perspective on change. We're not simply making change for the sake of change. We're making change on purpose for a purpose. We have to admit that something is off and something has been off for a while. Something hasn't been working quite right and hasn't been quite right for a while. And what I told you last week was that I believe what we're missing is balance. I believe we're missing balance. We've gotten out of balance and it's affected many critical and 
crucial areas of our church, especially overall church health. What's happened is that we haven't deepened people in the knowledge of the Bible, its depth and how it applies to life, morality, and family. When it comes, when tough times come, we've seen people run. They haven't run because they don't know how to handle the chat. They, they run because they don't know how to handle the challenges of life and faith in that area. I believe that we've been failing. Winning the world to Jesus is a priority, no doubt about it. It's a priority to win the world to Jesus. But in that same passage, in that same commandment where Jesus told us to go win the world, he said to disciple them, to grow them. And you can't win the world without workers. That's what we have to understand. We can't win the world without workers. You need workers to win the world to Jesus Christ. So we have another priority, and that priority is to disciple our people. <clears throat> we will do both, and I believe we're going to be excellent at both. In this sermon, what I started laying out for you last week, and we're going to continue this week, is laying out a new philosophy, and then we're going to be going into some different areas of that in the weeks to come. I'll be presenting to you that new philosophy that we're going to be establishing over the course of this next year. It's really not that complicated. It's pretty straightforward, but it's also new and it will require some effort. It will require some commitment and some investment from all of us here at New Life. And quite honestly, for some of us, that's what's going to be new. The commitment investment. That's what's going to be new. Ask yourself over this last year, how much investment have you made in your own personal spiritual walk with Jesus Christ? Ask yourself that honest question. How much investment have I made in my walk with the Lord this past year? We've been locked up, locked down. How much investment have you made in your walk with Jesus Christ? Now, I'm going to be saying some things here in the next couple seconds, in the next minute or two. They're going to be kind of controversial, uh, but they're true. And I hope that you, um, you take them to heart. Because I believe there was a time to be cautious, and I still believe there's a time to be cautious. But I also believe there's a time to let your faith overcome fear and let your faith dominate and rule. And there's got to come a time where you say enough is enough. I've got to trust God. We've gotten to a point where we can move forward. I believe that we're there as of... Right, right now, in America, 61% of our senior citizens all throughout America have been, have been vaccinated. 61%. Depending on who you talk to, what scientist you talk to, that is almost, for that age group, that is, that, now, of course, it's not herd immunity because it's not the entire country. But 70% is that, is that level. But 61%, and by the end of this month, it will be even higher. And it's never going to get to 100% because there are some that won't take the vaccine. But over 61% of our senior citizens, that's as of yesterday, have been vaccinated against COVID. As of May 1st, if you didn't see the news this week, as of May 1st, everybody, everybody will be eligible to get the vaccine. In fact, President Biden said that, I believe it was Monday, he said that, by summer, we're going to be swimming in vaccines in this country. We're going to have 500, over 500 million shots available by summertime. 
I'm not here to, to make a pitch for the CDC. That's not my point. My point was all I heard was once we get the vaccine, once we get the vaccine, once we get the vaccine, we've got the vaccine. Get your name on the list and get your vaccine. Stop, stop telling me why you can't come to church. Get your vaccine and get to church. It's time to get busy. It's time to get out of this. It's time to move forward. Right now in Massachusetts, every day, I promise you, you can go to my computer and you can go to Google, because I use the Google to look things up, and you can type in MA space. And the first search item that will come, in, come up is Massachusetts vaccination rates, because every day I check the vaccine rates. Every night, they update them daily at four o'clock for Massachusetts. And we're averaging right now about 40,000 vaccines a day in mass. And there's still more available. We've, we've got 85, we have, we, we've used 85% of the vaccines in Massachusetts. Right now, I believe the number last night was, and they're doing it seven days a week, so that's 40,000 people a day, seven days a week. That's a quarter, over a quarter million people a week. You understand that, right? And now we're going to be upping that number. So right now, with total vaccinations, total vaccinations are people that had at least one shot. And one, understand one shot of the Moderna or the Pfizer. I know I'm getting way into science here. I don't know why. One shot, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to convince you of this, that's why. One shot of either the Moderna or the Pfizer gives you 75% immunity. You realize that, right? It gives you as much as the Johnson & Johnson. The second one is the one that takes you up to 95%. We have over 1.5 million people in Massachusetts out of our 6.9 million people who have been vaccinated with at least one shot. Add to that the 513,000 people in Massachusetts that have had COVID, and we're over 2 million people. We are almost at 33% of our state that is protected from the, vac from, the, from the virus. And that doesn't count people that had it and didn't know. So I am very comfortable in saying this. Easter, we're having one service, and we may not be distancing everybody. We'll probably have a section... I, I told Aaron, I said, I'm not, gonna, not quite sure I'm going to say this, but I probably will. I'm considering having a section for people who are fully vaccinated. We can all sit together. After two weeks of the vaccine, you're, you're free bird. I'm as free as a bird. How about you? <laughs> and the other for people who need distance. Well, that's that's. Oh, okay, tell me, find out, find something, find something logically that's wrong with that. I'm serious. I'm serious. Well, that's segregation. Don't be an idiot. Okay? Have, have half the congregation with people who have been fully vaccinated, fully protected, and the other side with people who aren't. And we could get more people in the church. You see, it's time, folks, to start understanding that we have to move forward. 
We have to, we have to come out of this and we have to start investing in ourselves. We have to start reaching the world again. I believe as of May 1st, I, I believe we could, we could be beyond this. And I'm 4th of July. I've even thought about 4th of July having a, a church barbecue potluck here. Because yes. I think we can do it. I think we can do it. Yes. Listen, folks. Time is past. We're coming out of this. What is your plan? What is your plan? I want to share with you what this new philosophy is and finish up the message I started last week. Philosophy is simply a specific set of ideas of a person or a group. That's all a philosophy is. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of doing things. A way of, of a group or a community or a, a business even. It's their philosophy of how to get things accomplished. How to do what they do. Why do we need a, a new philosophy? Because we've been, we've been going by the, the philosophy of come and see or being seeker sensitive for the last 15 years. And we've seen a lot of people come in. Please understand, I'm not saying it failed. We've seen a lot of people come in. Zach and I sit down and talk all the time and we could go through person after person after person. We wouldn't be able to have one service on Easter if everybody was still here that came here over the last 15 years. We would have to have four or five services on Easter Sunday. I'm not lying. But something was missing, and that what was missing was the deep the discipleship, the training, the commitment that needs to be demanded of people to grow a church. Our new philosophy will be built on these two phrases. The first one is what we've been using for a long time: relationships build churches, because that's always going to be true. Relationships build churches. The closer you folks get together, and listen, I know, just like in family, my, my, son, my two youngest sons, Gabriel and Michael, now, Zach, Gabriel, and Michael, even though there's a 28-year age gap, they all get along. My, my two youngest sons think that the world revolves around Zach. Zach is the axis of the globe, okay? And they just think Zach is, is something special. I, I know. I try to tell them different. And I tell them story. I can't tell them stories about their big brother because all that does is feed the fire. It's like, Zach did that? No, man, I didn't mean it. It was a joke, okay? But Gabriel and Michael, they're twins. And they, I've told you before, man, I'll, I'll go in in the morning and I put them in separate beds at night and I go in in the morning either either Aaron or, or me, and they're sleeping in the same bed, or they're on the floor next to each other. I think the funniest thing, I told you this last week or the week before, I told them they couldn't get into each other's bed, so they ended up sleeping on the floor. I'm like, why'd you guys sleep on the floor? Well, you told, they said this. I said, why'd you guys sleep on the floor? Well, you told us we couldn't sleep in the same bed, Dad. Like, oh, all right, I, I give up. I give up. But they fight like cats and dogs. Anybody got kids like that? They fight like cats and dogs. And they're at the point where they're calling it, they're, you're stupid. Oh my gosh, I, I can't stand you. So I said, okay, guys, I'm going to give you your own bedrooms. Uh, that's okay, dad. It's okay. So I say that to say this, families fight and have disagreements. And families butt, butt heads. But, but in the midst of it all, and when it all comes down to brass tacks, families stay together. 
And families work together. And that's what our church is going to be. And I know, personality, we ha- I, really, I really don't know how many people we have in new life right now. I couldn't tell you. I, I know before COVID, we were around the 200 mark. I don't know where we're at right now. I just, I can't honestly say. I mean, if, they, if we do what they say and go by, by views on your social media, we're an international multinational church, right? We got tw- people in 27 different countries that watch us. I, I met a candidate for school board uh, walk in the streets. She, she's, she wants to walk East Long Meadow to get to know people. So I went out to meet her because I've got one issue in specific that I've been completely ignored by, and it's the race issue in East Long Meadow. I said, listen, if you're gonna, if you're gonna listen to me, I'll vote for you, okay? Uh, and her and the woman she was walking with said, oh yeah, we follow your church. Like, oh, okay. I didn't even know you know who I was. <laughs> but I do know this, that when you put 50 people or 100 people or 200 people together, You're going to have personality conflicts. When you put young men together who are in the same age group, you're going to have personality conflicts. When you put young ladies together and moms together who raise children in different ways, you're going to have personality conflicts. But we've got to be big enough. In the old us, the old wineskin, that might have been a problem. But in the new, with the new wine and the new wineskin, That's just a hurdle we have to jump over. You see, we've got to be able to get beyond these things. The way we're going to be able to do that is by growing in our faith, is by becoming something more than we were in the past. The second one we're going to build on is if we take care of the depth of our church, God will take care of the breadth of our church. Now, Started last week talking about what a church was, and practically speaking, we said this, a church is a multifunctional entity that meets various needs and purposes, spiritual, emotional, and physical, for born-again followers of Jesus. And then we started talking about what a church is. First thing I said was a church is a place of worship. Remember that? Church is a place of worship. Worship was amazing this morning. Thank you so much for having the announcements, because I needed to get myself together. Okay? Another in the fire? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I'm, a, like, I'm like the Wicked Witch of the West there in a little puddle after getting water thrown on her. Phenomenal. Great worship this morning. I prayed for that yesterday on my prayer drive. I said, God, give them the power and the, the, the anointing to bring us into your presence. And you did that this morning. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. It's awesome. A church is a place of worship where we come together and we worship to remember God. We worship to thank God. We worship to unify as a body of believers. The second thing we said was a church is a place of personal growth because we're designed and purposed for growth. That's our purpose. That's our design. We're designed to grow. Did you know that Jesus said there's no limit on how far you can grow as a Christian? There's no limit. He said, in, in fact, if you look at, um, at the fruit of the Spirit, it says, after, after he lists the fruit of the Spirit, he says, against us there is no law. What he means there, what he's saying there is, there is no limit to the amount of this fruit that I will produce in your life. Is that amazing? 
There's no limit. The more you pour into Jesus, the more you invest in your walk with him, the more he will pour into you. It's the giving living cycle. You give to get back so you can give more to get back more so that you can give more to get back more. It never ends. He will continue as much as you invest in yourself. He will invest more in you and more will overflow. And remember, we say others live in the overflow. We reach people through the overflow of our lives. Now, let's pick up where we left off. Church, after being a place of worship and personal growth, church is to be a place of fellowship. Church is to be a place of fellowship. One of the things I pray for every night on my prayer drive is that as we come together, and it's very difficult right now, you look at the way we are in the mornings before services, whether you come to first service or second service, the way we are in the mornings right now is so different than the way... Anybody remember what we used to do on Sunday mornings? Oh my gosh. Coffee and donuts and how many, the worship team, how long would it take to get people into the auditorium? Right? I felt like I'd I'd have to get a, a, a shepherd out there to corral people to come down because church people just don't want to shut up, man. They just want to keep talking. That's the strength of new life. New life is a place of friendliness and fellowship and a place that loves people. Through the, one of the things that impressed me most was when our church went through our COVID outbreak. I was so impressed because people were reaching out to each other. People who had COVID were reaching out to each other, were helping each other out. And people who didn't were willing to make runs. And the church, oh my gosh, it was just, it was, it was what a church is supposed to be in times of trouble and, and distress. I was so proud of my church. And I bra- I'm having a meeting with a bunch of pastors. I'm having a lunch on Wednesday with a bunch of pastors. And I'll be bragging about my church that day about how my church endured what has caused other churches to fall apart. Not to, not to brag on our greatness, but to brag on the way God has blessed and God works through our people. You see, the more you tell about Jesus, the more fame will be brought to his name. So churches be a place of fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia. The word koinonia. The word koinonia is translated several different, four different ways in the New Testament. It's translated fellowship 12 different times. It's translated sharing three times. It's translated participation twice. And it's translated contribution twice. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great German pastor from during uh, the World War II era who stood up against Hitler and who was thrown into prison because he wouldn't bow to Hitler and was eventually uh, martyred and, and killed for his faith, said this, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. I mean, there are some Sundays that I just say to myself, I've got to get to church. I've got to get to church. I can't wait to see my people at church, especially now. But there are people that haven't been able to be here for this past year that I miss dearly. 
truly. If you're watching us on Facebook, I miss you. I personally miss you. As, as a friend, as a church brother, I miss you. And there's a reason why I don't try to make, I'm not trying to guilt people into coming back to church. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about not being here. I'm saying you need church and church needs you. Because church is supposed to be a place of fellowship, a place of koinonia, a place where we come together and enjoy each other's company. And once you begin to build relationships, relationships begin to build you. And as relationships build you, relationships build our church. The idea or concept of fellowship is one of having shared experiences. What we had this morning in worship, that was a shared experience. Now, we don't, walking with Jesus is not an experience, but we do have experiences. And worship this morning was a shared experience. And those experiences many times are mountaintop experiences. Those experiences many times give you the strength. It's like a meal. A meal is an experience. If you have ever had a Mezzaluna pizza, telling you, Ramon, Ramon, uh, uh, the owner of Mezzaluna pizza, whew, Mezzaluna pizza is an experience. <sighs> Highbrow sticky ribs, religious experience. It's communing with God. It's what's going to be served at the marriage supper of the lamb. Mezzaluna pizza buffet and Sticky Ribs by Chef Drew. <sighs> Spiritual experiences are our meal. They're our meat. And they're what we take in, and it's what gives us the strength through fellowship to, to walk another mile. When you, <laughs> I promise you, if you will make the commitment to come out to church and to, and to be to church, to come out of the darkness of, of being locked down and come to church, you will be welcome and you will, you will experience humanity again. You will experience a shared faith community again. And you will have the experience that will say to you, there's a place where I belong. There's a place where I matter. There's a place where I'm loved. There's a place that I'm needed. There's a place that really, really missed me for the last year. It has been a year, man, a year. Fellowship is about an experience. Fellowship is also about shared responsibility. One thing you'll notice is that we have a lot of space here. We have a lot of work here. We have a lot of plans here. Hey, a lot of churches have shut down over this last year. We're coming out of this strong. We're coming out of this gangbusters. We're coming out of this having Awana for our children. We're coming out of this having Bible studies on Wednesday night live. We're hitting the ground running, folks. But that means we're all responsible to make it work. Therefore, we all have to bear and shoulder our responsibility. We can carry each other's burdens, but we all have to carry our own burdens as well. And that means part of that responsibility is being responsible for your brothers and sisters who may not have the strength to make that commitment yet and saying, hey, come on, come with me. Meet me there. 
I'm going to commit to you that I'm going to be there. So meet me there. And it's shared lives. We get to know each other here. Now, I'm a very private person. I'm a very, uh, I'm a loner. I really am. I could, I could live life on my own. Um, I grew up in the na- as a Navy brat, traveling, all, traveling around. We never had roots. Never had. When I wore that, that hoodie a couple weeks ago, the purple hoodie with the gold, Elkton Golden Elks, that's like the hometown of my heart. But I only lived there for like four years. But that's where, that's where my roots are. That's where I consider my roots uh, is Elkton. Uh, born in Puerto Rico, lived in Virginia, lived in Chicago, lived in Kansas and Missouri, Korea. I, it's crazy. And then Massachusetts. But when I come to church, I have to be willing to share my life with others. There has to be a part of me that I open up. And I'll confess to you, and I'll be very open and very honest with you, that it's very difficult for me to open up to other people. You know what, one of the, you know what part of the reason is? I'm 58 flipping years old. You're not. Okay, Cliff is. Cliff can understand. Cliff's older than me. But Cliff can understand what I'm talking about sometimes. Some of you folks, you don't have a clue. Okay, you don't understand. You haven't, you, you haven't been there yet. And you're all, and, and I'm just, I'm older. But the other part is, I'm just a loner. I'm just, a, I, I'm just, I can be okay, just me. My challenge, as the, and I'm the pastor, that's not a good thing. Okay? You have to come over, you have to overcome that. So don't think that I have it all together. I have challenges I have to overcome. And this last one is very difficult for me. Sharing my life is very difficult for me. But I know that if I'm going to lead a church, and if I'm going to truly bring a church into the heart of fellowship, that I have to be willing to share my life. That doesn't mean I share the intimate details of everything. That doesn't mean we all, I, 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 cook dinner for everybody every night. And that's not what that means. But that means that I open up and I, I let other people carry burdens for me. And I'm willing to carry burdens for others. And I'm willing to listen. And I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to do my part and invest in other people. That's what a shared life is all about. In Acts chapter 2, Verses 41 and 42, it says, So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. First John 1, 7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Philippians 1, 3 through 5, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The early church shared their lives with each other. The early church knew what fellowship was all about. They couldn't get enough of it. The early church grew because they had shared responsibility that they took up. They understood fellowship. The purpose, listen, church is not a lone wolf entity. Church is a shared experience. 
We have to understand that a place of fellowship. The next thing that church is church is a place of ministry. Church is a place of ministry. Nowadays, Many churches are like, uh, it's, a, the, the, it's a small world ride at Disney. Everybody ever been on It's a small world at Disney? And a lot of the rides at Disney, they, um, you go in, or, or amusement parks, you go and you sit down and it takes you through everything. And you just sit there and you go through and it entertains you. Sometimes that's what church can be where we all just come in and we are entertained. And it's like gladiator. Are you not entertained? And we judge based on how entertained we are. But that's not what church is supposed to be. Church is supposed to be a place of ministry. And I apologize for sitting down, but uh, anyway. <laughs> D.R. Silva said, my job as a Christian is not to get people to heaven when they die. It's to get heaven to people while they're alive. That's deep. That's deep, man. My job isn't to get to people, get people to heaven when they die. My job is to bring heaven to people while they're alive. And that's what our church should be. Our church should be a place of grace and mercy. You know what grace is? One of, the, one of the great definitions you'll find, if you do a word study on grace and you look it up in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, one of the great definitions is God's, God's uh, impact on the heart and its reflection in the life. Basically, grace is a mirror of God. The grace we show to others is supposed to be a mirror of the grace that God shows us. We are supposed to mirror the love and grace that God has for us and God shows to us and gives to us to the rest of the world. John Maxwell said, the goal of church shouldn't be to get people to show up, but to get people to grow up. That's not deep, that's just in your face. It's expected that we be active and serve in our local church. You will not find one scripture in the New Testament where Jesus says, or Paul says, or John, or Peter, or James, or Luke. Not one of them says, hey, you know what? Eh. This is give or take. This is a buffet. If you don't like the braised beef, Try the chicken. If you don't like the creamed corn, have some green beans. And if you don't like it all, order a grinder. It's not the way we approach faith. That's not the way we approach church. Church is a place of ministry. Church is a place of responsibility. It's expected according to the teaching of the word of God. You wonder why I can't sit down. You wonder why you wonder why you feel out of balance when you're not faithful to church? You wonder why you feel guilty when you're not faithful to church? I should look at the camera. You wonder why you feel those things and you feel negative when you're not faithful or active in church? Because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. That's why. Because you're out of balance. You're out of sorts. You need spiritual maylocks 
or spiritual Pepto-Bismol. You need the medicine of the word of God to get you back on track. That's what you need because you are designed to serve. You're designed to be active. And it's expected of us that once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we be active. Well, I don't, I don't think so. That's not in my theology. Well, your theology is wrong. Okay? If you'd like to sit down and have the conversation, I'll be more than happy to. Pastor Osvaldo is working on his English. He could sit down. He's got degrees coming out of his. He's got more degrees than I have tattoos, I think. He would sit down. You could sit down with Pastor Zach. And Pastor Zach could sit down. And he could walk you through scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture that says, Hey, listen, you're supposed to be serving. You're supposed to be involved. There's no excuse for anybody. Because church is a place of ministry. I tried. I'm sorry. Church is not a one-person band. Now see right there, I kind of made it, I made it a little bit user-friendly because it used to be a one-man band. Church isn't a one-person band. Hey, newsflash, church is not a one-gender band. Did you notice that on the platform today, 75% of our worship team was female? Did you notice that? And God's still blessed. God still used them. Our hearts were still touched. I still had tears in my eyes. And I'm sure I'm not crying, you're crying. You see, church isn't a one gender thing, gentlemen. It's not all about you. It's not you taking your coffee cup and holding it up and saying, hey, lady, fill this for me. <laughs> Whoops, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't expect that reaction. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Seriously. Everybody has a role to fill. Everybody has a job to do. Everybody is valuable and everybody brings something to the table. There are not only biblical roles for women in the church, there's leadership roles for women in the church. I don't know if you're going to want to be called a Awana commander. That's what they used to, I don't know, but I don't know, but that's what they called the Awana leader. But the leader of our Awana program is a woman. Okay, cool. That's awesome. The Deborah of new life. Deborah was a judge in Israel. She led Israel into battle. For those of you who didn't know, <gasps> another woman that fought for God. Oh my gosh. I think we might be onto something here. What we need to do is stop fighting for roles that aren't ours and accept the roles that are ours. And you're not going to like this one, but but listen, know your role. Know your role. Serve where God has placed you. Get involved in what God has gifted you in and do what he's called you to do. You fill your role. I will, I will fill my role. 
And together we'll build the kingdom of God as New Life Church. <clears throat> Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13 say, And he, and he gave hate. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And then James 1.22, nobody ever likes to hear a verse from James, right? Because it's just a punch in the nose. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Boom. If all you do is want to take in and take in and take in and take in, you're just deceiving yourself. If you think you can be productive and healthy, and if you think you can be a functional Christian by simply taking in all the time, you're deceiving yourself. You have got to be giving out. It's got to be a cycle, a flow in your life. You've got to be taking that investment, allowing it to grow in you and allowing it to come out of your life, spiritually speaking, and reaching out to the world. But Pastor John, I work every day. Exactly. Exactly. Who do you work with every day? Mice? Who do you work with every day? You work with human beings every day. Who needs Jesus? Who did Jesus die for? Jesus died for human beings. So when you go to work every day, you live for Jesus, you live Jesus, you show Jesus. And by doing those things, you are sharing your faith. And you're showing people a better way to live. Listen, I've had people say, well, they, they asked me how my year was. Well, if you want to know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you all the things we've been through. But let me tell you something. I'm going to be very, very honest. This has not been, except for, except for the, the 26 days where we almost lost Aaron twice. That was very, that was tough because I, trying to keep the boys together, not being able, that was, that was tough. But this year, going through this time with this church, it's not, you want to know what's, this was not difficult. You know what's difficult? Going through a very public divorce as a pastor. And that church have, asking you to stay. That was very difficult. Everything else is cream cheese. And I love cream cheese frosting. I should say cream cheese frosting. Because how many, okay, come on. We, we talk about, we're going to lay it out on the table. You want to know about my life? How many of you eat frosting out of the can with a spoon? Oh, come on. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Come on. Come on. We're having to come into Jesus now. Dude. <sighs> I can make a two-layer cake, a one-layer frosted cake in a heartbeat. And none of this teaspoon stuff, soup spoon, the big one. I don't do that anymore, but oh my goodness. Where'd all the frosting go? Oh, I have no clue. Church is supposed to be a place of ministry. Next, church is supposed to be a place of support and unity a place of support and unity. That's what church is supposed to be. God calls us as a family and a body. Functional families love each other. We aren't supposed to have hatred, animosity, bitterness, or division. We're supposed to love. That's what we're supposed to be. The Bible says they'll know we are Christians by our love. Ask yourself how many people think American churches are loving churches right now. We're the place of hatred. 
I, uh, I've had like three people in the last couple weeks that aren't believers outside of church say that to me. One even asked me in a very, very pointed, not sarcastic, but almost sarcastic. <laughs> Come on. You really think the church is a place of love? Hey, listen, man, when people outside the church start asking me those kind of questions with that kind of tone, I have to take a step back and ask myself, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're supposed to be a place of love. We're supposed to be a place of support, not competition. It's not a competition here. It's a cooperative. And no, I didn't just support um, communism. Okay? <laughs> it's a cooperative. All a cooperative is, is where people work together for the same goal. We're supposed to be a cooperative. This isn't competition. It's not a competition. You know what happens? You know what happens when church teaches, when church becomes a place of competition? Marriages start breaking up because husband A wants wife B. And a competition starts. You know what happens when it's a competition? Person A doesn't get involved in ministry B because of somebody else, because they have to show them how much better, or somebody has to show somebody else how much better they are at what they do. Instead of working together and, and being together and being a cooperative. One of the things I had to warn Aaron about when we first got married, is Aaron, listen, it's going to be, there's going to be women in the church that want to compete with you. Not because they want me as their husband. Don't get me wrong. But for some reason, people look at the pastor's family as, a, as, a play, as, as the ones you want to know and the ones you want to be friends with. And people named, right? Don't tell me they don't. You don't, have to, you don't have to name names. But don't tell me people don't say, eh, I know Pastor John. People, people try to use that for power. People try to use that to get their way. And people try to do the same thing with Aaron. It's one of the hardest things Aaron had to learn. That's one of the things I wanted, I, I just, I wanted to pull people aside and like, listen, let me ask you a question. This isn't, this isn't John Wine. This is just being honest, okay? Would you hold yourself to the same standard that you held, that you hold my wife to? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Because I know that you don't. So if you're not willing to live up to the same standard you expect my wife to live to or my children to live to, live up to, if you don't hold yourself to the same standard that you hold my oldest son who is our assistant pastor to, then shut up. Seriously. Just back off. Because you've got no business having an opinion on the matter. Because this is not a competition. This is a cooperative. And until you're willing to hold yourself to the same standard of everybody else, then you're not getting it. Why don't we just work together like we're supposed to? And let's hurry through this. We're supposed to pray for each other. We're supposed to encourage each other. And we're supposed to work together. Many hands make light work. John 13, 34 and 30 through 35. I give you a new command, love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. But this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Hebrews 3.13 and 1 Thessalonians 5.11, you can read those on your own. And lastly, church is supposed to be a place of evangelism. Church is supposed to be a place of evangelism. We are supposed to be a place that tells people about Jesus Christ. Our goal here is to grow in our faith and reach the world for Jesus. Those are the only two goals we have. Those are the only two goals that any church should have. Now, there are other things that underpin that. Okay, Financial viability. That's something that a church needs. But it doesn't, financial viability is not our number one goal. You understand that? We can have church in my backyard if we need to. Okay, we can have church in a parking lot if we need to. So financial viability is not our number one goal. Reaching the world for Jesus Christ and growing in our faith, those are our two goals. Other things support those two goals. Right? So we have to know that and we have to understand that. But we are a place of evangelism. We're tasked with bringing the message of the gospel to a world full of people who need Jesus and his love for their eternal souls. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world, God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen, we don't grow in our faith just to be smart and to win arguments. We grow in our faith so that we can live in such a way that people see and hear Jesus in our lives. Always, 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 the mission, the purpose, the very heartbeat of God that should be kept before us is the fact that God loves people, that Jesus died for people, that people need to hear the message of the gospel, and that it is our responsibility to prepare ourselves as best we can to deliver them that message. That's what it is. We prepare ourselves to deliver the message of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for your love and grace. Lord, thank you for how you've brought us through this last year. And God, I just can't thank you enough for a church that uh, fought its way through. Father, as we prepare to come out of this tunnel, Lord, would you get us all on board? Would you give us all courage and strength? And Lord, may we see you in this beyond our fear. Lord, I'm not talking about being being irrational. But Lord, I'm talking about putting you first. And I pray, Father, that you will give us the strength and the guidance and the leadership and the direction to do just that. Bless us as we go from here. May we honor you. Bless the second service. And Lord, bless the worship team. They just blessed my heart. May they have your anointing and power. In your name we pray.